Welcome to the GNT Show. All right, welcome everyone to another GNT Show. I'm back in the country and doing this live. This is our second go at it because, um, like our season preview pod, G's computer shit hit itself and he had to reboot. Six yes, times. it did. Yeah. If we have to re-record this podcast, then we have made a deal that G will now record the podcast from a more reliable setting at McDonald's. <laughs> Wi-Fi at McDonald's. Just because they give out free Wi-Fi and it's more reliable than the Wi-Fi you're using. So. Once again, joined by a man who this week had actually a very, very good week. G, congratulations on selling your house, by the way. Thank you very much. It was quite a stressful period, but it's all done now. And looking forward to moving on and off to a different um, place that hopefully has a little bit more Wi-Fi. All right. It's another massive news week, actually, in the week of the NRL. And I know because you were selling the house that... Um, you've actually watched more football than you normally do, which is about 10 minutes this weekend, so that's excellent. Yes, yep, I'm on fire. Is last week when we were doing our round one preview, we mentioned that the judiciary changes won't come in in time. But that underestimated the power and the will of Emperor Volandis, who, in, dressed in his toga, out the front of Park Avenue or Park Road, held an impromptu press conference on Thursday afternoon before the first game kicked off and announced judiciary changes. Um, and it's it's a bit like changing the driving rules, the demerit system, but giving all the motorists in New South Wales four hours notice when you do it. So, <laughs> so let me let me run through let me run through some of the changes. So Stuart Raper and Steve Clark have been added to the match review committee, and Luke Patton, the general, becomes uh, the boss of the match review committee. They have scrapped the loading that applied for previous offences within the preceding two years. All players get an automatic one-week reduction for an early plea, and the number of categories of charges have been reduced from 14 to 8. It completely abolishes the disciplinary records of players in the past. I've got my own views on all of this. Um, and, yes. and they've, but they have not abolished, not G, abolished the fines for the lower earners in the competition. Given your week, this is the first time you're hearing these new, this news. What's your initial reaction to it? And maybe I'll give you mine afterwards. I'm not a fan of the fines in general. I think they need to go. I don't have an issue with the reduction of categories, I guess. You know, as long as they sort of are grading the things appropriately and consistently, I mean, what you call it essentially is not really a big deal. You know, whether you call it a cannonball or a crusher, it's like, well, what's that actual loading or that penalty actually worth? I think the system worked well. I completely hate the fact that they've abolished the disciplinary records. If you're a drink driver and you've got multiple drink driving offences, well, by the fifth or sixth time you're up, you're going to get your licence cut, right? Because they take your track record into account. Now, Fui Maiono who's got a very poor pack t- tackling technique, keeps finding himself in these hip drop situations. He comes back week six. If he does another hip drop, he's actually going to get less on week six this year than he did for the one on Hayes Dunster, even though he's got a series of these things now. So I, I, I actually don't like that part of it. I know you're not a fan. I'm not a fan. I don't like, I don't like any of these changes. And, and the one that really gets my goat as well is the fact that They've given, um, if you were playing a video game, they've given God rights to Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo. So he's, they've, they've, they've loaded up all their power levels to 100 in Street Fighter. <laughs> no, it's like when you play those NBA games or whatever it is, and you know, you can go in, you can go in and change all the sliders to you never miss. Correct, That's correct. That's exactly what they've mode. done. And they can actually the they can actually overrule the judiciary in, in, in certain circumstances. I don't like these changes at all. Just an overreaction from the NRL to whinging from coaches. And the media. 
my worry is if you give God mode to Andrew Abdo and Peter Volandis, they're, they're, they're apt not to use it in a consistent manner. I mean, what could go wrong with giving God mode to Peter Volandis and Andrew Abdo? That's okay. We've wiped out his past indiscretion, so we don't know. We're starting from scratch. Jesus, okay. <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes throughout the year. My worry is oh, God. more serious charges will get lesser suspensions under this. Okay, here's a question then I've got for you. Do you think, I think the game's cleaned up significantly and so that is probably why I don't have as much probably concern as you do? It's changed. I don't think it's cleaned up. So what what used to be striking, what used to be fights, what used to be uh, dirty things in the scrum, what used to be really messy play of the balls and those types of things have now moved, thanks to the Melbourne Storm, to res- wrestling the technique. E- the ear twist or, yeah, yeah like the oh, arm, Pressure on the joints. And all this yeah. Kind of, yeah. yeah, yeah, fair enough. Craig Bellamy might, in the, in the semifinals this year, his <laughs> team makes it that far, just pull out a new wrestling move, you know, like someone's bearing down on Ryan Pappenhausen and he does a stone-cold stunner. Well, c- well, hey, don't be surprised. Considering the crackdown on the trainers, yeah. don't be surprised yeah. if the trainers to- just tackle and- someone on the field. <laughs> Nelson Asofa Solomon has got the sharpshooter on. <laughs> <laughs> Or Charlie you know Stones. What? That actually wouldn't be a bad thing to do. You turn somebody over and get them on the back to slay the play the ball down. They're almost there anyway. You just have to tangle the legs up, right? I do have a couple of funny news as well. but um... So Peter Valand is deciding to install himself as God mode is not funny. I mean, what the fuck is that? It's the best. So one of them involves your beloved Bulldogs. Of course it does. Uh, sp- Bloody hell, yeah. Speaking of the NRL, yeah, Peter Valandis is planning on targeting the sports betting market, particularly with exotic bets, a la cricket, in the US. Exotic bets with cricket, nothing came, nothing went wrong with that idea. <laughs> oh my God. Well, they just see the rivers of gold with the sports betting market opening up in the US. But, but this is a slippery slope. I mean, not all clubs have the integrity that Souths and Bulldogs have demonstrated with their... That's, that's right. Of course they don't. I mean, you know, we can't all be like those two amazingly. Um, this is gonna. This is gonna impact clubs. the integrity of the sport. Well, first of all, they need to find people that watch it in the US. He's running it like racing New South Wales, right? Yeah, even with the bets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of course he is. The rugby league is different to horse racing. Horse racing only exists for gambling. Rugby league doesn't exist for gambling. I don't have an issue personally with the the old gambling where it was very limited. You know, where it's like footy tab pick the winners type of stuff. I think that's sort of margins, that type of stuff. But now when it's like, you know, how many 40-20s there are and how many field goals, or it gets to a point where, you know, as you've seen in football and cricket, where you can bet on things that have no impact on the game, but it can actually really affect the integrity of the game, if that makes any sense. You know, who's to say a guy doesn't kick the ball out for an extra time just to win a bet? But it doesn't really change the the outcome necessarily, but they can win a bet through doing stuff like that, the kind of spot-fixing type of stuff. So I don't know why they're chasing that, because like you say, around the world, that's resulted in nothing but problems. That's true. I agree with you. I can't believe I agree with you. And we're joined by the dog, Layla. Layla, what do you think of sports yes. betting? <laughs> She's, uh, she, she agrees. Wolf, wolf, Layla. <laughs> We've waited two and a half years for you to get a dog joke in of woof woof. Yeah, I know. It's great. It's great. Let's move on to uh, another piece of news. Um, after the Manly game this weekend, um, the fans wanted photos with Manly players 
and a fight ensued with security, delaying Manly from leaving the, and the referees actually, from leaving the stadium by 90 minutes. Because they're all in protocol, right? So the fans can't get close enough to the players to, to get autographs and all that sort of stuff. I've just come back from the States, irrespective of what you think about the States politics. It's a lot more open over there. I mean, we're getting people with COVID. I mean, it's, it's a societal issue. People can travel now. We're opening up. You know, my opinion on some of this is changing. I wonder if we're being too restrictive on some of the NRL players. And, and conversely, I think fans should be allowed to approach players and get signatures. But why can't they? I mean, Because they're in a bubble. They're in a bubble. They're in their own NRL bubble. Not as strict as last year, but... but I get it. I, I get it because they're trying not to get COVID to spread through some of the teams and things like that. Well, they're that, trying to keep the comp going. But through Sydney, I mean, it's spread everywhere. And everyone... It's like life's just gone back to normal to some extent. I, I think it probably should be a little bit less restrictive. Maybe just say, you know, you have to wear masks or whatever, but... And that's it. I mean, you wear masks, don't you? But you wear them for pleasure. Um, correct. That's right. Yes. I'm actually a wrestler in my spare time. Are you? Are you? Okay. <laughs> yes. Alluchador. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard more along the gimp lines, but that's okay. Of course you have. Yeah. The Australian version of uh, Luchador. Yeah. <laughs> it comes. And with his entrance music, the Agatha Christie music, here <laughs> comes the gimp. <laughs> the gimp from, from two trains to St. Mary's Mead. Go. After Brayton Astor's impressive performance on NRL 360, Cam Munster has joined Lachlan Ilias with Ciru Sports. Munster had to pay 100k, 100k uh, to break his contract with Sean Pine, and he's now joined Braith in Braith's stable. Cam Munster and Braith, what a combo. It's a great combo as to why Cam Munster probably even needs an age. I just can't help but feel Braith is going to negotiate a bit like the Parramatta Eels do. It's... Um... My client, Cam Munster, wants a million dollars. It worked for him when he moved from when um, the Bulldogs to the Roosters many years ago. And the headline the next day is Cam Munster signs for 800k. (laughs) It'll be something like that, yeah. That's what it would be. South offered him 600k and signed the Roosters for 200. He's using the same tactics. Oh, well. Good on him. Good on him. All right. Um, Tom Weaver, who's the 19-year-old yep. boom. Did you, well, you didn't watch. You're saying like you know who Tom Weaver is. Correct. That's right. He sounds like a baseball Who does Tom player. Weaver play like for, G? The Los Angeles Dodgers <laughs> farming system. He's triple A rated. Tom Weaver is the up-and-coming Gold Coast half. Apparently the future yeah. of the franchise. I'm sure you'll get to know him in when we play. There's many play futures for. of the franchise, yeah. I mean, let's just wait and see. Obviously, but got. they've got a big raps on him at the Gold Coast. But he was um, arrested for allegedly drink driving. I mean, he would have got a more lenient sentence if he'd waited for Peter Volandis to announce the new rules. Correct, but, but, but yes. But, or taken over the, as a New South Wales Police Commissioner, but yeah. Correct, but you know, it was interesting because um, actually Justin Holbrook really gave it to him in public. Instead of coming out and defending him, he said this could be a turning point for him. We're really disappointed in him. We've got big raps on him, blah, 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 blah. I actually thought that was an interesting way to handle it, and I thought it was a mature adult way to handle it. It's a different way of handling it in the NRL. Usually they thrust these kids out, and they're kids, right, even if they're 24, 25, to come out and make an apology, or the club keeps everything in-house, doesn't really talk about it much, or says, oh, we're working with them. This is kind of a very different way of saying, hey, mate, you've got to sort your crap out very publicly too called him out so i would say not many clubs do that unless they really want to get rid of a player and they kind of sometimes lean on some of the indiscretions oh they clearly want to keep him they clearly want to keep him yeah sorry it's a different tact in terms of someone they actually really want to keep has uh moving on to a different story phil gould is wheeling and dealing in the background oh that's fantastic we're we're a clear beneficiary so i'm good with that he has signed yeah Yes. A feeder club in queensland of course he has yes the western clydesdales that's okay 
I'm sure there's plenty of horses out in the you West. You know nothing about the Western Clydesdales. This is this is embarrassing for both of us. So the Cl- the Clydesdales used to play in the Queensland Cup, which is now called the Host Plus Cup. They yep. ha- they are not there at the moment. They're not, no. I love the way you pretend. They haven't been there for a few they years. They haven't been there for a few years, but they're hoping yeah. this deal with the Bulldogs will help them get back into the Host Plus uh, Queensland Cup. And then if they do, then they've got the Bulldogs feeding players through. I, I think he's thinking... Perhaps we can get a Melbourne Storm style of feeder system going. This is all just obviously rumour mill stuff, but I think under Hazard and all clear, I think the scouting system was kind of brought, reined in a little bit and sort of lost some of their networks. And I think they're looking to get back into the Queensland geographical area and have a presence there. I think um, they're really targeting that. And I think, like you said, it's it's based on the success the Storm have had there. I think other people are saying, well, why can't we go up there and also get some of these players that the Storm seems to be able to have on a conveyor belt all coming from Queensland. Because they're as dumb as dog shit, that would be my answer. So I, I think it's a great move. You know, I think it's a, it's a good positive step for the future. I just think, why wouldn't you go to a team that's actually in the Queensland Cup, though? That is a, also a very a good question. <laughs> I just don't know. I was thinking I think, that. I I'm think like, you're going, this is a lot of trouble to go through. To, why wouldn't you just go to, it is a 16-team comp. My guess is, and this is pu- purely a guess, obviously, is that they've probably sounded out some of the clubs and some of those clubs are probably... Well, they're playing at a higher level than the Bulldogs. So they want the Bulldogs to be the feeder club for the Ghost Plus Cup. Well, (laughs) don't tell me that after the last couple of years, I have nothing to say. (laughs) All right. Um, I told you it was a big news news week. Cam Smith... At least we can make the top eight somewhere. Well, I'm not sure. Imagine you get the wooden spoon in the Ghost Plus Cup. No, we'd come at least 10th. Cam Smith came out during the week and denied he will become the assistant coach to Wayne Bennett. Do you know who Cam Smith is, G? Oh, okay. I do, and this is just another... St- why are we even calling them the Dolphins now? Why don't we just call them the Storm? The Queensland Storm. Like, what's the Wayne point? Bennett never coached the Storm, though. They're siding everybody from Melbourne. Cam Smith, let's just get Jerome Hughes. We've signed half their forward pack. You know what? While you're at it, just go give Craig Bellamy too. All right, let's... <laughs> Let's move on to more news. Now, when the Canberra Raiders team was named last week, um, and I missed this because I was in the States, but given I host a NRL pod- podcast, I try and keep on top of the news. Ryan Sutton's wife blew up about her husband missing selection in the 17 um, on Instagram and really gave it to Ricky and called him Ricky names. must have a real problem with the players' wives. <laughs> yeah, the third know. time it's happened. Tarpanay's wife did it last year. Ryan Sutton, George Williams, Josh Hodgson. Like, they've had some bloody cultural issues. It's not, yeah, there's, a, there's something there's going a on. How diabolical does the situation have to be that your wife's posting issues about your boss? We're half joking, but it seems to be a bit of a pattern, right? So I don't know what's going on out there. There must be a lot of players that must be quite unhappy that are... You know, obviously going home and venting or, you know, that, that's a safe area. And then after every, every, after every pod I vent to my wife, she doesn't, go, she doesn't post on Instagram. She just texts me and abuses me outside of the post. It's a good question. I don't know, but that's what I'd imagine is happening. Because with that, there's been too many, we are unhappy with the culture comments from too many players. Seems to be if you're in the circle, if you're outside of the circle, there, there must be issues in terms of how I think they're treated. Well, I don't think the media the reports group. on it because Sticky's friends with everyone no, in the media. The wider, yeah, the wider group. Like I think there's obviously their core group where everyone seems to not have an issue. But outside of that... I'm down to my last six or seven stories here. It's a big week in the week yep. of the NRL. It's Jason Costigan. Do you know who Jason Costigan is? I Former do, caller, yes. then he went into Queensland politics, yes. got kicked out of the yep. party. You can Google him. He got hired as the ABC grandstand commentator for North Queensland home games and then yep. sacked. 
without calling a game. I was going to say the season hasn't even started. He got sacked without calling a game. All very, very suspicious. That's a bit there's odd. More, there's more to the story than meets the eye. And then he came out and he said someone's gotten to them. Or like a conspiracy theory, someone's Well, okay. His. So, I don't know. There's a bit going on there as well. There's lots, lots of things going on behind the scenes in the NRL. Yeah, they would do their due diligence before they'd hire somebody. So... Who knows what's happened there? But it is a strange short-term appointment. Well, well, he was gone in three days. Anyway, let's move on to some player movement news. Um, it looks like Tarek Sims is going to sign for Melbourne. And Saints may actually end up keeping Jack Bird because they've offered him $1.1 million over two years. Yeah, if I were Jack Bird, I'd take that. Take that. It's a good deal for a player. Yeah, but you know how much is Redcliffe going to offer? They look like they're sort of... Well, they're going to offer more than $1.1 million. The reports are he doesn't want to go back to Queensland, given how it ended for him at the Broncos. And Parra's in there. Parra's in there for Jack Bird because we lost Papa Lee and we've, okay. lost, we've lost a few of the back rollers. So we want to... Look, a healthy Jack Bird... He's a lock, running block, back row that can ball well, and he's play. A ball he's player, a ball player, right? Player. I mean, which is not, which is not what Dylan Brown does, really. So, And what about Tarek Sims to Melbourne? They're going to turn him into Superman if it's Craig Bellamy. He looks like the Incredible Hulk, but he's actually Dr. Banner most weeks during the season. And this he is might the second week you've used that gag. Is it getting a better run in the nightclubs of Sydney? It is. No, but, you know, he turns into the Incredible Hulk for three or four games, and you're always trying to get that back out of him. But he realistically is Dr. Banner for most of the games. It doesn't really do much, right? I think it's interesting the Storm are there, because the Storm, I think, have enough belief in their system to think that they can get him to be far more consistent during the season. And I thought the Dragons were better for him not being there on the weekend. So I think it's a good move for Melbourne. They need somebody like that. But it's also a gamble, because what's make you think that you're going to get whatever... You know, any four or five other coaches haven't been able to get out of the guy. Yep, that's true. All right. Um, I was in the US, so I missed the Jack DeBellin interview. What did, they, what did he say? I didn't see it. <laughs> I'm not up with the gossip. It's not gossip. He gave an interview <laughs> on the news. How is it gossip? All right. Okay. I'm down to the last three stories. All right, G, yep. you're aware of Parramatta. The um, Las Vegas of the West. Paralympics club, right? Oh, they're no, they're no Canterbury Leagues club, let me yeah. tell you. No, Funneling all the money through Panthers. Dynasty, yeah. the Chinese restaurant. Well, Rudy Hill RSL, I think it is. Sorry. So, no. so look, I, I read something interesting during the during the week, which was Para is renowned for its junior development system, but it's actually slipped to third for junior participation behind the Panthers and the Cronulla uh, and the Char- and the Cronulla area. Uh, that doesn't surprise me though, because the the demographics in Parramatta have changed significantly in the last ten or fifteen years, right? So you've got a different generation, different people, different migration patterns. Do you reckon? Yes, I do. The Hills think, District, Wentworthville. Yeah, I do. I, I think you go there. I mean, th- there's different migrants. I mean, Blacktown, there. I think, you know, all the way out to Blacktown might be Parramatta area. Anyway, I just think you know the demographics have changed, and I think it's a, they've got to redo. It's not just as simple now as just people will play footy anymore. People aren't introdu- younger kids aren't introduced to the game necessarily playing on the street with their friends. I think it's you know you've got to sort of reintroduce some of the the, the different generations back into wanting to play as juniors. Everyone plays football or even basketball now is is very popular. It, there's not as much as many kids going to play rugby league anymore. Well, they got to do something, right? So that's not only have we not won a premiership and the longest drought in the NRL now, but we're also losing our junior base, which is amazing, right? The club's got a very bright future. So it, yes, it does. So, so Las Vegas of the week. My two favourite stories of the week. So it wasn't just the judiciary. An elderly neighbour next to Belmore Sports Ground called yes. called the police. <laughs> yes. Because she spotted a drone oh, no, that was okay. spying yep. on her. 
Correct. Yes. yes. I think Trent Barrett was trying to figure out her defensive patterns. It was a bulldog drone. Property of G. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It was T one T Barrett. But but uh, T Barrett explaining to the. <laughs> To the elderly woman that he wasn't spying on her, that he would never do that. All that sort of stuff brings me great joy to see the level of professionalism that's going on at Belmore Sports Ground. <laughs> yes, it's fantastic. <laughs> it sounds like it's cutting edge, but he's making a fucking difference. Well, he's got one so, drone, right? Trent... He's got one drone. Do you reckon their problems at the Bulldogs are such that he should be concentrating on the drone? Who gives a shit about the drone, mate? Just, just get... How about you just introduce a little bit of variety to their attack? <laughs> How about... Yeah, he may be overcomplicating this. He may be overcomplicating this. I think this. so. I think so. All right. Belmore would look great in a you know promotional video before the season from up high on the drone. I think I think they filmed one like that. My final story of the week before we get onto the games. Cooper Cronk was seen in Melbourne this week coaching Nick Meaney. You know because yep. he got picked in the halves. Now the now the issue for with that is now is Cooper Cronk coaching half the rest of the NRL as well. This is this is my point. Now it's very okay. unusual for Cooper for someone to do this. That's an assistant coach with another team. Now Cooper Cronk is an assistant coach with the Roosters. So I've got I've got him finishing training with the Roosters, jumping in Nick Polites' chopper, going down to Melbourne and doing a training session with Nick Meaney. And just telling them, oh, the Roosters are going to attack this way. Don't worry about it. Am I the only one that thinks this is unusual? Like, here's what here's what doesn't happen unusual. in the NBA. Here's what doesn't happen in the NBA. Pop, Coach Pop of the Spurs. Yeah. He doesn't, in between games, fly out to LA to give LeBron James tips. I've got no comment, honestly. It's I mean, just... It's... Realistically, it is weird. And look... To be honest, if I was Uncle Nick, I'd be fine with if he was coaching the Bulldogs or the Cowboys because they're not in the same league. Correct, but correct. The Melbourne are a direct competitor with the Roosters. Like, come on. I'm, 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 I really am blown away by this. Okay. And and just just Fox League's coverage while I'm on it, right? Because I, I heard Shane Flanagan in the game this, tonight in the Cowboys-Bulldogs game. He's an, he's an assistant. He's at, the, at the Dragons? Yes. Yeah, I know. He shouldn't... I mean... <laughs> It's just, it's everywhere now. Braithen Astor's an agent. Flanagan's a, with the, Cooper Cronk's with the other 14 teams. The initial, the trailblazer was um, Philip Ronald Gould. He was. Where he was like working for the Roosters. He's he's the director there, coaching Ricky Stewart, and he's commentating their games on Channel 9. <laughs> Come on, man. And now he's working for us. It's great. Yeah, it's just... Look how good these Penrith juniors are. It's like, dude, you're coaching these guys. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> So oh, fucking Jesus. hell. It's a... Oh, not to mention being selectors as part of State of Origin as well. Correct, so, correct. Hey. Just, it's just extraordinary. You know, some of those bonuses come in handy. They do. As extra payments, right? Yeah, so it's actually, the more you think about it, it's bloody crazy. It is really Seriously. crazy, the stuff that goes on. Just, it's it really is. I love the NRL. All right, shall we move on to the games, right? Yes. I, and my, and my yes. Brevity wasn't as part of my notes this, this round. So we kicked off on Thursday night. At, I think you're excited. I was excited. excited. I was excited. It was good to see yes. the footy back, actually. And have fans in the stadium and all that sort of stuff. So, so yeah, the game, the yeah. game, first game kicked off. And just just before we get started, it was a terrible. I tipped three for the weekend. It was a tipster's nightmare. Uh, um, yeah, I tipped three. As and well. all the teams I thought were going to be good were shit. So, so, so don't listen to any of our tips. So, yeah, it goes to show you how much we. we One thing we're we like didn't get wrong. That. One thing we didn't get wrong. North Queensland and the Bulldogs are both shit. So, so we'll get to that game last. So, so that was quite an accurate. Yes, assessment. correct. Thursday night, Panthers versus Manly. Um, this was at the foot of the mountains. Panthers dominated this game from the get-go in front of nearly seventeen thousand fans. They started yeah. on fire. They had two tries denied in the first ten minutes. 
one to Stephen Crichton down the right edge and Brian Tonho down the left, um, both because of obstruction. Isaac Targo finally broke through down the left edge. Um, Luai, Kikau, Targo and Toho really terrorised the manly right edge of Harper, Olakatau, Olakatau, Jason Saab and DC, they've just dominated down that side. Isaiah Yo and James Fisher-Harris also dominated. Yes. That, yeah. They were brilliant um, through the middle. And Paul Bullimore, Brad Parker, Foran and Rubik Garrick were also having a torrid time on the other edge. Like Their edge defense through the middle and the left, the other edge were just, they just got completely dominated, Manly. Um, they, they were trying to stop the Panthers' right edge with Dylan Edwards constantly making the extra man down that right edge, right? I thought Dylan Edwards was superb. A penalty goal did make it 8-0 before Crichton stepped. Brad Parker and Bullimore were slow coming across to make it 12-0. Penrith's play of the ball was also 10% quicker than Manly's. They just dominated every part of this game, right? So then just before halftime, Manly capitalised on a mistake by O'Sullivan. He rushed up out of the line and and Tommy Turbo streaked away as a result of it and set up Bullimore to make it 12-6 at halftime, which completely flattered Manly. In the first half, the Panthers had 58% possession, 77% territory, 899 run metres versus 555 for Manly. They had 235 post-contact metres versus... So winning the physical battle, right? They were winning the, the contact versus 138. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They had seven yeah. offloads to Manly's one, and they had 19 tackles inside the opposition 20 versus six. They just completely dominated the first half. The the try from just before halftime came also from Jake at dummy half. And the reason I'm mentioning that, because Jake did really well at dummy half when he got in there, um, it was taking advantage of the markers out of position. And we spoke last week about how Desi doesn't play with a number nine. But if you have a number nine that can read the play, like what Jake did there, that's the difference it makes in your side, right? It gives you an extra yeah, edge. Yeah, of course. Right? Um, Luai and Coruscant got tries in the first 15 minutes of the second half to make it 24-6 and effectively kill the game. I thought they put the cue in the rack after that. Um, for me, Isaiah Yo was man of the match. He was he was brilliant through the middle and the yeah, offload. Yeah. He was like a it was like a halfback in there, right? And the physicality yeah, and yeah. the tackling and the meters he got. Um, and O'Sullivan had two try assists. Interestingly, we said for Manly to contend. Tommy Turbo needs to step up against the contenders. Tommy Turbo was very quiet. And the Panthers yes. all night kicked to Jason Saab. They didn't kick to Tommy Turbo the whole night, right? Every time. And let me demonstrate that by the kick return meters. Dylan Edwards had a great game. He ran for 350 meters. But if you take out the... Um, oh, oh, no, sorry, the other way, actually. He had 100... Of that 350, 181 was on kick returns. So that's quite a quite a good one. Um Tommy Turbo ran for 31 metres kick returns versus 181 yeah, for Dylan Edwards. Yeah, they just kept him out of the game. They just kept him out of the game. He had a very quiet game, and I just thought the, Pan- the Panthers look ominous, mate. They're going to get look even better when Nathan Cleary comes back. It's round one. It's round one. I'm calling it Panthers to win if they stay injury-free. You know how uh, we were talking about you know some of the season previews we talked about last week, and I said, for me, round one is about what is the tempo you can play at? What type of speed are you playing? You're going to make mistakes. Things are going to sometimes look a little bit clunky, right? I went back and had a real close look at this game. I don't think the Seagulls played that badly. I actually think they played all right. I can't believe how dominant the Panthers were. They were like in a different league. The speed at which they were playing, the athleticism. I thought Sean Sullivan, that's the best game I've seen him yeah, play, he was great. right? He was, great. he was aggressive, he's attacking he's not and running great. at the he's line. He's not great with that cutout pass that floats right, uh, left left to right. Yeah. You know what, T, he was aggressive and it allowed Luai to play his game. The, yeah, the Luai, yeah, Luai played his natural game. He didn't try and, and play Nathan Cleary's game and his own, right? 
like, because, you know, I looked at Manly and I thought, you know, they, they tried to play a little bit expansively and tried to get Jake Trebojevic involved passing and DCE was popping up everywhere. They were offloading. Bullymore played all right in attack. But they just, they couldn't get through their defence. Like, the Panthers' defence was aggressive, it was fast, and it was athletic. And Isaac Targo, as a rookie, was reading the game really well defensively as well. And they couldn't go through him. He looks like... A similar player to Matt Burden, except he's lighter on his feet. Not as powerful, but he can step past four or five guys. Like, it's like they've got two versions of Brian Toro there. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with that, actually. Yeah, yeah like yeah. Brian Toro's v- try, I can't believe that was a fucking obstruction. I'm sorry, that was bullshit. He stood Tommy Turbo up, player was near him, and they said, oh, he obstructed him from making a tackle. Mate, he got stood up. Yeah, I get that. He but stepped the past rules, six blokes. The rule's clear. That one I thought was bullshit, but, but, right? But, but, I get but the it's, other one, it's, it's the Croydon the, one. It's the literal interpretation of the rule. And we just scream, we want consistency. The Crichton one I sort of get, the Toro one I didn't, but God, even though that got disallowed, how good was that freaking try? He like stepped like six the of them. one was obvious, I thought. Well, just Kieran Foran couldn't get across it. Now, would Kieran Foran have made the tackle? No, but... But he did block his path from trying to get across, I, I yes. hear what you're saying, but you're, you're a little bit of an old man shaking his fist at the cloud, right? I mean, like, the, the rule's clear. Like, it is very clear what the obstruction rule is. You may not like it, but can I just say, it is very consistently applied in the NRL. It's the one rule they get right just about every time. I'm not saying... It is consistently I'm not applied. saying it should I, be... That should be the rule, but given it is the rule, it's applied very consistently. It's just, I feel like it's harshly applied, but you're right. And I, I thought the try that Mandy scored was brilliant before half Yeah, it was, it was Jake out of what it half, also, Tommy. It was sensational, the, yeah. right? But what it also showed me is the level of play that you have to produce to actually get through the Panthers' defense. No, but that, that was, that was no, 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 no. That was a one minute lapse in error, and then yeah, O'Sullivan ran out of the line. They don't score that try if Nathan Cleary's there. Nathan Cleary would never rush out like that. Yeah, but it still needed Tommy Turbo to come at full speed, sort of just get through. I think we're making the same the point. I, I don't think that was... It looked It looked good. They don't score that try with Nathan Cleary there, though. There was a lot of mistakes in the Panthers' defensive line for that try. The wise try in the second half, because usually, you know, you give it to kick out and they kind of die sometimes without the ball. And the Panthers, I felt, just kept alive. And the one thing I did notice that was a little bit different with their play is the James Fisher Harrises and the Isaiah Yos and all these guys, they were playing like halfbacks, all of them, yeah, so and passing the ball. But the, the attack, the attack has changed. Here's the worry for Manly. Here's the worry for Manly. The attack for most of the teams has changed this year. They're it much has. more expansive. Correct. Yes. Um, they're, they're less rigid around left to right. The halves are combining on one side of the ruck a lot more. Or, or this, switching, yeah. like Jack White and switch to the right. He's usually on the left in the Canberra game. And, and there was numerous examples of that throughout the round. So it's less structured. And because they know what the rules are, they're, they're actually better prepared for it. There was a, quite, a, quite a few good games. The other thing I'll say is because the penalties are back in the game as opposed to six against, the score lines are closer. Yeah, 100%. There, there were two of the trends that I picked up is that the penalties now where you can gain ground sort of condensed... It stopped that momentum roll on. It also allows the defence to reset a penalty. I think also a lot more teams played an expansive type of football, which was which was actually really exciting to see. But, mate, the speed at which Penrith played... I'll go back, and I don't think Manly played that bad. I think Penrith were just way too good. Yeah, I agree with that. It was 28-6, to 6 and it could have been 40, and they were dynamic. Like you said, yo, Fisher-Harris added passing, but not clunky passing. 
Like smooth running yeah, at the they line, were great. smooth they cut were, out balls. I can't disagree. Luai back to his best. Toto was again brilliant, and mate, their forwards were freaking sensational. And Coruscant was. And for Manly, I think if Manly plays like that, I think it goes back to what we said. This doesn't change my mind. I think Manly will be too good for a lot of these other. I teams. don't think so. The attack's changed. Here's the problem for Manly. Their attack hasn't. I thought they tried to at times. No, I thought they... No. Now that he's seen the other teams play, they have put in a lot more work because he didn't need to change his attack, right? He had Tommy Turbo. Yeah, because I mean, they're scoring 50 correct, points a game. Correct, right? correct, correct. But Manly, I'm more worried about the attack. Like the Panthers' defence handled them with ease. With... Cleary missing the Panthers and the way their attack sort of simplified towards the end of last year. But, mate, they were on fire. Defensively, they were superb. They were. They, they were aggressive and fast the whole game. And their athleticism, it's going to take something special to beat these guys. Defensively, you're going to have to come up with some kind of attacking play and play at a tempo to beat them. And I think they, far, they, were, they were good. They were good. They so were very we'll get good. to the Parramatta Eels that can beat the Panthers shortly. So let's move on to the Friday night games. First up, it was Canberra versus Cronulla. Canberra got the chocolates 24-19. Um, Craig Fitzgibbon was due to coach his first game, but came down with COVID before the game. So he FaceTimed coaching, which, which is interesting. Um, the Raiders scored first through Jack Whitehead combining with Kotrick down, down, down the left after dominating. For, He's back. Yeah, after dominating in the first 10 minutes, right? They had 72% possession and made... They, they, the, the Sharks had to make 46 tackles to the Raiders 23, um, and that was 6-0 at that point. Jesse Ramian's a good defensive centre, but I think he and Nico Hines, Nico Hines in particular, got caught out on the Sharks' right edge a little bit. They can be caught out. Nico Hines didn't always defend in the line at the Storm. No. So that that's that. I did notice that in the first half. Um, Valamai then got another down the Raiders' right edge to make it 12-0. Um, Jack Whiten popped up on the right, and Whiten was ball playing. Um, so there was a lot of coaching changes from Ricky. Their attack is completely different to the attack they had last it year, was. right? Yes, a lot more expansive. Jack Whiten moving around the rock. Yeah, Elliot Whitehead ball playing. He barely did any of that last year. You know what? Also, T a lot more depth in their play. Sure. So their centres, whilst not the fastest, are coming at. They're hitting the ball at pace when they're getting because they're coming from a long way back, which I think quickens up their. Their, their speed of play a little bit. I thought they would look a lot different. I didn't see that as a difference the last year. They tried to do that last year, but... but it just they, didn't seem to work. Well, that's a different story, but but they, I think they I think they tried to... <laughs> they, they were trying to do the storm thing of attacking, trying scoring tries, you know, 60 metres out. So they were throwing the ball around a bit bit more than they normally do. So they really stretched the Sharks' defence, particularly in that first half. Um, but by this point, though, the Raiders had lost Hodgson to an ACL and Valamai and Papali to a HIA, so assessment. So they were a bit the walking wounded, right? The Sharks then scored from a scrum through Braley, who fed the scrum, uh, when Fafita got into Whitehead's head, no pun intended, by giving him a lot of lip, and Whitehead was more concerned with getting square with Fafita. He was slow to react, and... Op- off Braley went and scored, right? So to make it 12-6. Yeah. They then extended the lead just before halftime when Chance Nickel Klockstad pounced on a Tom Starling grubber to make it 18-6. The lead evaporated, though, in the first 10 minutes of the second half when the new Sharks halves duo combined first to put William Kennedy over and then Teague Wilton over to make it 18-8, 18 all with 30 minutes to play. It was a real, real grinded game from there, right? It was. It was. I was actually surprised how long it took one of the teams yeah, to take the lead, yeah, but that yeah. ball from Nico Hines for that try was magic. Yeah, they, they were great though. And Matt Moylan then thought he had won it with seven. I thought Matt Moylan was really good. I thought he played well too. He didn't overplay his hand. He kind and of he added fit. touches of yeah. class and... Yeah, he did. He looked fit, which was great. Uh, he thought he'd won it with seven to go. 
uh, when he potted the field goal to make it 1980. But the Raiders composed themselves and came up with a barnstorming try to Hudson Young to snatch the win. The Sharks did have one last throw of the dice, only for Matt Ikevalu to be denied by some desperate Raiders defence in the left It was corner. great defence. Ikevalu did nothing wrong. Just got that, What a that surprise that Matt Ikevalu did nothing wrong and it didn't work out for him. Okay. It's the Raiders' seventh win in a row against the Sharks. For the Sharks, I thought Nico Hines, um, it, with the ball in hand, it was a promising start with three tackle breaks, one try assist, and his kicking game was quite good. Defensively, he's got a bit of work to do, though. For the Raiders, damage was done by the forwards. Papali, Tarpanay, and Hudson Young all ran for over 120 metres, and Jack White put in a good performance, in my opinion, on the back. So uh, 24-19 to the Raiders. What did you think of this one, G? I, I, I looked at the Raiders, and I thought, God, they look a little bit different, and they're trying a few more things in attack to kind of give them a little bit of different look. I thought Whiten had a really good game. I don't know about his hairstyle. <laughs> the, the um, it was fucking terrible. terrible. Look, j- just in general, like th- there's a... I don't know what's happening with these mullets. Like, there's mullets and then there's NRL mullets. And this year they've taken them to a different level. And it's a real worry. Like some of them are absolutely terrible. One of your guys has got it too. J- Junior Paulo. I mean, is there a balding mullet? Like, mate. Oh, anyway. Can I just can I just say a bald man having a go at these NRL players' hairstyles is the irony is not lost on me, G. I think some of these people spend too much time on their hair than they do on focusing on the game, and I just want to know if there's a correlation between bad mullets and and moustaches and performance on the field. But we'll leave that for um, a statistical analysis another time. I thought the the Raiders looked very different. They tried different things, which was awesome. I thought White it gave Whiten room to play what he saw a little bit more and run and direct his attack and aggression in it. Um, I thought Tomoko, whilst you know he still got the odd floor here or there, I thought he's grown and another leg like after playing last year and he looks a lot better as well you could see what a healthy aggressive Shans Nickel Klockstad and what a difference he makes to the Raiders right the halfback Brad Schneider did a decent job the Sharks could do could have done a better job trying to isolate him I mean this is where Chad Townsend's actually quite good right I just the halves combination for the Sharks Matt Moylan's a running He's not organising, get the team around, pick on a weakness guy. And Nico Hines had Jerome Hughes and Cam Munster there when they were fit. So Mitchell Moses for all his faults, Luke Brooks for all his faults, um, DCE certainly, Nathan Cleary. These halfbacks will say, okay, well, this is yeah, let's let's run a play to isolate Schneider and see if he can make a tackle on our second rower. I don't think the Sharks did enough of that. No, I don't think so. And for me, I thought the Sharks were solid, relatively solid in defence generally. I think the Raiders were the same. I thought they both... Both teams played pretty well, and then they sort of grind, tried to grind out a win at the they end. They got tight. I thought they got tight towards the end. When the Sharks felt like they were in a little bit of trouble and William Kennedy started to sort of really come back into the game a little bit, I thought they looked more dangerous in attack and they troubled the Raiders for a bit. I don't think there was enough of that. I think there was too much of Hines and Moylan, not enough Will Kennedy. But I think they'll adjust all that as they go throughout the year. I thought both teams looked all right. A good win to the Raiders. They need to win these games against these teams that will probably be around them in the ladder. But for me, I don't think... Both teams still looked solid. Do you want my controversial opinion? I'd play Nico Hines at fullback and bring Trindle in as halfback. Fair enough. I think he gives him a different look. Yeah, I'd have, I'd have Will Kennedy on the bench. Takes him out of the... It takes him out of that front line. And I think he picks his spots better from fullback. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think there's a few fullbacks in the comp like Will Kennedy now. They're very light. They're very fast. They're a bit like Matt Dufty, right? They're quite good in broken field play and when set plays are coming for them where they loop around the back. But 
I just I, the jury's out. There's a lot of them that could be Will Kennedy. You know, Tyrell Sloan who had a great game, Will Kennedy, Matt Dufty. There's a lot in that that mould now. I think their season will not hinge, but I think they've got to sort out the Kennedy, Hines, Moylan, and how that's all going to work together in the Trindle thing. I think that'll make a big difference to the way they're going to play. But I thought both teams it was a good hit out. There were some positives for both sides. A good win for the Raiders. The Sharks at times looked sharp. Well, second half they were better. The Sharks were better in the second half. They were they were dreadful in the first half. Yeah. This is what they got to get out of the game, and it's the first game of the year. But we'll see if that last year was their issue, right? We'll see how it goes. But good game, decent side. I know both teams look not too bad. Yeah. You know, like they look like they'll both be roundabout in that eighth position, fighting for a, a final semi spot. I think. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the second game on Friday, which was the Broncos versus Souths. Um, Adam Reynolds was ruled out. The Broncos got up 11-4 in a massive boil over. I can't remember the last time Souths only scored four points in a game. Adam Reynolds was ruled out before the game with COVID, and Kurt Capewell was named as captain. Blake Taff also ruled out late, um, forcing a Rabbitohs uh, backline reshuffle with AJ going to fullback and Josh Mansour coming in on the left wing. I wasn't sure what I was more impressed with, whether it was the Broncos' defence or Josh Mantle's muscle. Or how poor South's attack was. Sel- Selwyn Kobo in particular was brilliant, completely outplaying Josh Mansour. He was poor in defense and he wouldn't jump for the ball. So they kept kicking to Selwyn Kobo, who just kept going over him. And he wasn't smart enough to work out that he actually needed to leave the ground to take the, the, the bombs. For, for South, the season started the way it ended with Cody Walker throwing that intercept down the left edge to, and Albert Kelly racing 85 meters to score and making it 6-0 after 20 minutes. I thought Albert Kelly had a great game. A set play, a la 2021 by South down the left edge, saw Josh Mansour then score and make it 6-4 at halftime. Tell you what part Souths are going to miss. Adam Reynolds was almost a guaranteed two points after a try. Yeah, remember I mentioned their goal kicking. You were right. I think you're right. I think it's a bigger, it's going to be a bigger hit to South than I thought it would be. So, and and that that moment kind of crystallised it for me. Early in the second half, Corey Oates scored his 99th try for the Broncos, which crept up on me. Right, Corey Oates, 99 tries. It just, it just, see, he yeah, still it's, looks like he's fairly young, but he's been around for yeah, a while. Yeah, it right? really did creep up on me. Um. After the Bronx outnumbered the south right edge with Tane Mill making a really poor read on the right wing and running up to, to help Campbell Graham when he didn't actually need the help and, and, and the Bronx extended their lead to 10-4. It stayed that way until Kurt Capewell, of all people, kicked a field goal after South's defence. Can I say something on that field goal, by the way? Sure. He didn't just kick it. He nailed, he nailed it. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He kicked it from 40 I mean, that's why you get Kurt like, Cable. He, he, he was mad at the match. Kick. He was fantastic out there. I mean, he really made a difference. He kicked the field goal after. South's defense made a really good job of shutting down first option, which was Jermaine Asako for the Broncos. So so Payne Haas was an absolute beast. Now, yes. Kevin Walters, he said before the season started that he wants to reduce Payne Haas's minutes to 50 minutes, like every other prop in the comp, but he played 71 yeah. minutes this game. Maybe they find the balance and play him 65 or something. No, you're ruining you know. his career. You're ruining his career. You're, you're taking it off the other Do end. Do you think 50 is too little? No. I agree with you, no. but I think, no, no it's not. No. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Come semi-finals times, you might be able to extend it. It's like LeBron James in the regular season, right? You, you kind of can't have him playing 42 yeah. minutes a game. Because you need you need him there come playoff time, and I think it's a little bit like this for Payne Haas as well. Um, he had twenty two hit ups, one hundred and eighty six meters, eighty one post contact meters, three tackle busts, four offloads, and fifty four tackles. I also thought Albert Kelly deputised for Adam Reynolds superbly. Right, I thought he was great. What I will say though is Lachlan Elias and Josh Mansour had nights to forget. But on a positive note for Souths, I thought Damien Cook at least ran the ball. What did you think of this one? Same, really. I thought Souths really struggled with the athleticism of the Broncos. We've talked about how young some of this Broncos backline's been now for a few years. I know Selwyn Cobbo is ultra young, but you're starting to see them really develop 
into their primes. Like Herbie Farnworth, Katoni Stag. Hopefully you saw it in this game now. You thought it was ad-lib magic that they had last year, and I kept saying to you there was a lot of set pieces. Souths? Yeah, there was a lot of set pieces. What you saw was they just went from set piece to set piece. And it wasn't working. It wasn't right? working. Like I, the, I thought the Broncos looked really athletic and really I was fast. so impressed by their defence. I was so impressed by the Broncos' defence. But this is the thing too, T. We've talked about their defence, but some of these kids now are playing, this is their third, fourth season in first grade, and it's all starting to kind of, you know, for some of the backs, especially on the fringes where you get a lot of these holes, it's all starting to come together. Farnworth, I thought, was fantastic. Um, and Staggs looks like he's back. He doesn't seem to have quite have the outright explosive well, he pace, had a quiet but his power right? yeah. there. And I just thought their forwards, like Payne Haas was fantastic. I thought Jake Turpin did a pretty good job. Yeah, so did I. And I thought Kate Kirp- Kurt Capewell Why do you always was do fantastic that? for them. I don't know. I always stuff up his name. He's got the most e- the easiest name. And I always stuff it up. Um, but I thought their forwards were worked hard, were very solid, and kept South quite contained. The worry for me for South, I know it's the first game. I think that the fact that Blake Tarfay was ruled out sort of made things a little bit different. I think Josh Mantor is what he is now. He's purely a squad player. And they're having to rely a lot more on some of these guys, like the Tane Milnes and Josh Mansors. But and Lachlan nearly has first game, you know, some good things, some bad things. I didn't. I thought he had. But a poor I thought game. their I thought forwards, Mark game. Nichols, Colin Matungi, Jai Arrow, I thought they played all right, but it just wasn't good enough against the Broncos. They looked pedestrian to me. They really did look pedestrian. That's the thing. Sense. They looked slow. Their attack was very pedestrian in that they were, weren't getting players on the move. Players were getting the ball kind of flat-footed. And it was just easily handled by the Broncos. And the Broncos were ultra-enthusiastic. I quickly question, I know it's only the first week, and these things will start to play out in the next few weeks, but the worry for me was South just looked slow and clunky in their attack. And I don't know if there's too many changes. Latrell's got to come back as well. To play centre. Yeah, I think once that comes, we'll probably be a better place to assess them. But... If that's the kind of speed and tempo they're going to play out with a lot more of Jason Dimitriou rather than Wayne Bennett, I think they might struggle more than we thought. Yeah, I think that's right. It's, it's week one. It's week one. It's going to take a few weeks before we know what these sides are. All right. Can I just also say before we do Super Saturday, it was a good round of footy. It was. Which, it which actually was great the, to The say. games were pretty the good. The games were pretty good. So I think, I think we may have finally got the balance right with the rules. So... All right, the first up on Super Saturday was another boil over, actually. The Roosters versus the Knights. The Knights won 20 to 6. Um, it was the first time since 2009 that the Knights beat the Roosters in Sydney. So, amazing result there. Having said that, the Roosters had a try ruled out early for obstruction, and I thought dominated oh, the first 15 minutes. Yeah, that was a bullshit obstruction call. <laughs> The only person stopping David Clemmer from making that tackle was David Clemmer waiting for somebody else to make that tackle. I get tackle. it, but again, the rules Please. are clear. Oh, it was a magic try, by it the was way. A but try, yeah, yeah. So, be- and and then I thought Teddy had a really, really poor game. Do you think poor, or do you think the Knights were onto him and bustled him out of the game, so he didn't quite get space? Maybe it was that um, Teddy dropped. The ball basically, and butchered a Jake Clifford kick from inside his own forty meters. And, oh, mate, yeah. that was no, nah, that was one of those the footy bounces where it wants to go. Well, he could have taken it on the full two, so right? Unlucky. So I know, and, but far and out. And Dane Gagai was on the spot to make it six 0 So after that, though, the game changed. So that's the first fifteen minutes. Teddy makes that mistake. I agree with that. Dane Gagai scores. The whole game changes. And 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 actually, the Knights deserve to win because they were the better side over the next sixty-five minutes, right? You, that, you know what? You saw what I saw. I thought the Roosters started off really well and were unlucky yeah, and, not and to and be as ahead. Yeah, and as soon as that happened, as soon as Teddy dropped that... And then that, after that, the Knights were 
Yeah, I thought the Knights were better. Then, then with about eight eight to go in the half, Joey Manu won a penalty. Uh, Joey Manu won a tackle, high penalty because of a high tackle. Um, but JWH dropped the ball on tackle one, and on the next set, they went down the other end, and Bradman Best fended off Momorowski and put Tuala over to make it ten nil. The Roosters got a penalty just before half time to make it ten two at half time. But that's going to be a good combo for the Knights this year if they stay healthy. But but the Roosters were very uncharacteristic in the first half that the and the Knights dominated. Right, the Roosters made seven errors, had eighteen missed tackles versus eight for the Knights. They made zero line breaks in the first half versus three to the Knights, and they had zero offloads versus eight to the Knights. The Roosters also lost Victor Radley to a HIA after an independent doctor overruled the physio on the ground, and the commentators blamed it on the bunker. Guys, if you don't know the rules and you don't follow the NRL, you probably shouldn't be commentating on it. They're like, oh, the bunker's overruled. The bunker did this. No, it was the independent doctor. And Trent Robinson came out afterwards and said, oh, it's a bit unusual, blah, 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 blah. He didn't like it. But I'm all for the independent doctor making these things because... There's a conflict of interest, mate. They're just And things. as we know, the NRL, the NRL take the conflicts of interest very seriously. Ultra seriously, but then also it's the warrior mentality of some of That's these right. players. They don't want to go off, you know, so... You can be your own worst enemy, and I think the independent doctor's obviously in a best position to kind of make those calls sometimes. That's right. So, so, and and the second half, the Knights came out out and picked off, picked up where they left off, really, and they were rewarded 15 minutes into the second half when J, JWH then dropped the ball again. Um, this time he was trying to pass the ball, and Jake Clifford scored to make it 16-2. Um, Phoenix Crossland got binned for a for a professional foul with 20 minutes to go, but the Roosters couldn't score. The Knights' defence was superb, no. right? They they just they just shut them down. Billy Smith had a tough return to football and came off with a HIA, forcing a backline reshuffle. Um, he he really he missed he missed five tackles. He wasn't his best return to footy. Um, and then with six to go, Dom Young, after making a superb try saving tackle at the other end on Tupu. Um, scored down the right edge to kill the game off. The Knights' attack was really good. More expansive attack, again, like some of the other teams. Adam O'Brien's done a good job in the offseason. And the halves were superb. Like I said, they were going to be. Adam Clune and Jake Clifford. Um, And their defence already was great last year, so they, they continued that. Um, Momorowski did get a consolation try for the Roosters to make it 20 to 6. Um, and, and I thought the, really the only positive for the Roosters was Fletcher Baker looked good when he came on. But make no mistakes, the, dom- the Knights dominated. Seven line breaks versus zero, zero line breaks for the whole game, 13 missed tackles versus 35. And they and the Roosters only completed 25 out of 38 sets. Just, just uh, I was very impressed with the Knights' win. Same as me. I think what showed me is the Knights will be like last year where they had a very solid defence. And I think they're a bit better this year because I thought what I saw from them in this game is Gagai really solidified that side of the field, He's the left-hand side defence. Great game, sorry, in attack, but also just the side that he was on in defence, the right, sorry. It just gave the winger and him more confidence. Like it was... Oh, a jury's out for me on that. I agree with you. He played well. He really did. He really, really did. But and defensively, has he did. Like this, but defensively, he was really good, right? Like he'll have one great game in defence and then four terrible ones. So the jury's still out for me on... He does that, right? That's Dane Gagai. But I think for me too is this whole thing with Billy Smith in the centres. You know, the poor guys had so many serious injuries. I think in an up and down type of running style, like just north-south... He's okay, but I think what that showed in that game, sorry, is someone like Gagai, who's not the youngest guy in the world anymore, he stood him up pretty easily. So if he comes up against centres that have got a bit of footwork and agility, I think Billy Smith's going to struggle defensively sometimes. I think that was quite evident. I wonder if he's got confidence in his knees yet. He might not. Yeah. And it's 100% because of the injuries. His agility isn't Moylan, as good right? as... He, the Matt Moylan of last year didn't look like 
the Matt Moylan of this year, right? So, T, he's, he's not as um, agile as the Morris boys were, but, you know, running the ball in a straight line, he looked pretty good. But first game, right, I thought the Roosters were just clunky in attack. They seemed to get in each other's way. I, I, I think Sam Walker and Kiri are going to take a bit of time to get used to playing to, with each other. Um, I didn't like the move of Tupanua to the left and not the right. On the right, he's quite dominant sometimes, and he just runs the the right lines. I think he struggled being on the other side of the field. The Roosters attack, whilst I thought it was clunky, I thought it was very simple. They usually beat teams with their tempo as well. The Roosters play a very clinical band of football. They're not overly flashy or anything like that, and they can score some amazing tries. They rely on Teddy for some magic, for example. But I think the Knights matched their tempo and speed, and I think the Roosters sort of struggled to adjust. I think right at the end, they started throwing the ball around and backing up and trying a few different things, and they were making inroads. But they didn't play most of the game like that, and I thought the Knights dominated them. I thought Chad Randall was really good, um, and I thought Dom Young was really Dom good. Dom Young was really good. He was good. positioned very well yeah. defensively. He's a big unit, and you know he kept the Roosters from sort of getting that you know that Tupo try where they get Tupo flying in from depth, and it's a clinical play. That's but right. he didn't quite have enough space to execute and score that. So the Roosters struggled to score points, but I thought Clifford and Clune were really good. They both attacked the line, and they both ran at the line, and I saw a lot more involvement from Kalen Ponga. It was always around the ball. He got more touches. He created a lot more danger, and I thought... The, the try that they scored um, to Dom Young at the end, they made the break down the left and the way it went to the right and how quick it went, Ponga, Clune or Clifford, bang, 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 out and the Roosters' defence had no chance If to you notice back. the attacks, all, all teams are doing that now. If you make a break down one side, it goes straight to the other side. All of them were in position, ready, chasing, ready to go well, it's game um, one. Um, if, as if quick not, as possible. They're not, they're, not, they're not Canterbury. The Knights were really good in attack. I thought the Roosters still defended pretty well. See, they had the lucky bounce with the kick, the Clifford and runaway try off the error, and they scored two other tries off proper football. Um, but the Roosters couldn't keep up. I don't think the Roosters look like scoring. And, and defensively, defensively, Sam Walker and Luke Keary are two very small bodies to hide in that defensive line. Yeah, so, 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 but if anyone can solve that problem, it'll be Trent, Trent Robinson. I'm waiting for the Roosters to put it together. I think they're going to need time to gel... They've got different players, totally different back line. I think it's going to take a bit of time for them to hit their stride. A good sign for the Knights and a good win and a lot more vibrant in attack. Week one, different style of footy. I, I'll, it suits right. their personnel. They played well. Yeah, yeah, they played well. So ne- next up, it's the second game in Super Saturday was the Warriors versus the Dragons. The Dragons got this one, 28-16. Um, the Warriors conceded in the most Warriors way first up. Sean Johnson won his team a dropout. Eliezer Katoa then dropped the dropout. <laughs> then the Warriors conceded a penalty first tackle. Zach Lomax, with a big win behind him, caught the Warriors napping because they didn't move back slow enough and found touch 10 metres out. And a couple of tackles later, Ravalawa scores to make it 6-0. If ever there was a, a play that summed up a football club, that was it. Eight, eight minutes later, Tyrrell Sloan got his second try assist yeah. when he sent Jack Bird over yep. on the left edge to make it 12-0. Tyrrell Sloan then got gifted a... Then, oh, he actually then gifted a he try did, to DWZ. Yes. Yeah, when he overran a da- Adali Wateni Zalesniak kick for himself, that little grubber, to make it 12-4. From the kickoff, though, Aiden Fanua Blake went straight through Aaron Woods and Jack DeBellin after signing a five-year contract extension. So he was quite motivated. But just to show you how rocks and diamonds the Warriors are, 
that's set. So he runs 70 metres. The prop breaks through the middle, runs 70 metres. The Warriors didn't get to a kick that set. That's the type of game this was, right? There were moments, flashes of brilliance, but actually quite some ordinary and dumb things happened during the game, right? With nine to go in the first half, McCulloch badly missed Josh Curran right through the middle after Jack Kosiewski was also lazy coming across. And then he sent Wade Egan over to make it 12-10. A penalty to Zach Lomax made it 14-10 at halftime. In the second half, the Warriors started well when SJ got us 40-20, and it's not going to go down as a 40-20 because of rather lower touch. Mind you, that was like a 35. That was an amazing kick, that one. But I'm a fan of yeah, George yeah, it was a great so kick. Amazing, and, yeah. and then put and then <coughs> yes. put Elias, Elias Katoa over with a be- short, SJ did with a beautiful short ball. Yeah, that was a, that was, a, but it was only a meter forward. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they only call it yeah. if it's three. If it's if it's a Tom Brady, it was fourteen six then. So so they they hit the front the Warriors, but then Ravalawa completed his hat trick, giving poor Montel Montoya a, a nightmare, scoring another two tries to make it twenty two sixteen. Moses Zembai then scored right through the middle from dummy half after Jack DeBell and break through the middle to make it 28-16 with five to go. For the Warriors, I thought the Chanel, Chanel Harris-Tavita experiment uh, didn't work at fullback. I think he knew where to come into the game, where like he just... No, he was terrible. He was terrible. I, I think he was just lost. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, but Josh Curran was great. Um, Ravalawa obviously was the difference maker for the Dragons. But I also thought Tyrrell, yeah, Tyrrell Sloan really got... You know what I thought Tyrrell Sloan did? And people are gushing about him and what a great talent he is. But he gives them energy. He gives them enthusiasm. He gets them... You know, he's like he an energizer bunny the ball. out there yeah, for them. Yes. He's popping up here. Yes. He's popping up there. Yeah, yeah. He's giving, them, he's giving them some energy that they don't always have because they've had a veteran team in the past. So... That was that, that I thought was quite good for the Dragons, but there were flashes of brilliance in this game. They both these teams are underdone. Interesting. Okay. They actually needed the trials to go another two weeks. To me, they both look like teams that are going to be on the fringe of the eight. You know, that might get close enough, maybe. But you could see the flaws in their game plan. But for me, the Dragons I thought had a little bit too much class, power, and a little bit too much speed for the. I I, I look at the Raiders. I had the Raiders and Dragons very similar. Yeah. I had the Warriors a bit lower, so this was a game I thought the Dragons should win. Um, but I, I was much more impressed with Raiders' performance, particularly in the first half, than I was the Dragons in this game. And I and I thought the Raiders were playing a better side. Came out of it for the Dragons. It was other than the win. I thought they had a lot of variety in the way they played. Like you saw Jack Bird ball playing, you had Jack DeBellin ball playing, you had um, Tyrell Sloan, like you say, giving this enthusiasm of popping up all over the place, really inside balls, outside balls, backing up in the middle of the ruck. He tried stuff. I thought Moses and Bayer played pretty well. Like, he just played his role. Like, and I think that, like I said, he's going to suit him because he doesn't, he's not going to be asked to be the star. He's just going to go in and fill his role and do a job. And I think that was good because it took Andrew McCulloch out and gave him a different look. Talatau Amone, I thought, he gives him that directness when he's running the ball, but he's still got to, he'll get better with experience. But I thought, Lomax and Ravalawa gives them just a powerful finisher on the end. Like some of those tries, that's a, that's a, that that is a good edge. Lomax, you know, and there's sometimes it was just good defence, but he just got steamrolled, and Ravalawa was just too powerful. Yeah, no, got, I mean, it looked like John Alomu. The, the, the second try was John Alomu. Yeah, like, and there was nothing more that Montoya could have done, and I think um that ended up being the difference. But the, the Warriors, I mean, they're, they're so hot and cold. There's elements of good play. It's like last year, but... Well, no, that's what I'm saying with that first try. Like, like they do all these right things, and then they, they... It's just... It's just it's so typical of them. They concede this length of the field try after three errors back-to-back. I, I just think, you know, Wade Egan played pretty well. I thought Josh Curran played well. Oh, Josh Curran, I thought, was their best player for the You Warriors. know, and T, they... At times, Nick Arima and Sean Johnson looked dangerous, but... 
it's almost like the rest of the team can't keep up with him, if that makes sense. I didn't think Nikarima had his best game. And he I think, didn't. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you why. Because I think SJ is the dominant half. There. He is. He absolutely and is. And Nikarima's used to. So actually, or Ash Taylor might be a better better foil for, for Sean For Johnson. Sean Johnson, possibly. But I also felt like that they're playing on a different wavelength to some of their play, other players. They sit there and they try to create, but there's no one going with them. You know, they're, they're quite a, keeping their game plan somewhat simplistic. I thought Katoa at times showed flashes again, but their team's just not strong enough to beat some of these teams, and they have too many flaws. They got tired. They started to have gaps in defence. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. So that's a good... That's why I'm saying both these teams, both these teams lacked polish. They needed... They needed a couple more weeks of preseason. They they were they were short of a gallop. I thought Jaden Sewell was really good and made them very solid defensively on that fringe. Big difference to Tarek Sims and last year. I think that's going to help. That's a great signing for the Dragons. Oh, Jaden Sewell, and he was a, he was good player at South. Jayden yeah, Sewell. really good player. I, I, for some reason, kind of appreciated, but somewhat. Uh, how can I say? Well, I think he's properly appreciated now. Yeah, I think he's properly appreciated he, now. He's not high profile. kind of needed to take him out of South to appreciate how good he was. thing is, Moses Sully looked the leanest and sharpest he has he ever in his career, which I think... He's is only 23. Yeah, he's that's the thing, right? But it's, it's a good sign for the Dragons that he's in the best shape probably ever. And I think that's going to be a good signing. And having Jack Bird on the fringe for them instead of the centres... Well, I, I think this is difference. the first time... That Jack Bird looked like Jack Bird in two years. Yeah, I thought he played really he well. He looked like Sharks Jack Bird. He did. But I, I think the Dragons, like you say, looked a bit short of a gallop. They did enough to beat the Warriors. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how they come up, you know, brush up in the next few weeks if they sort of sharpen up a little bit more. But the Dragons, they start to put it together. They got a little bit of everything. A little bit of power, a little bit of speed, finesse. They, they have let's variety. Not, let's not go overboard. Let's hey, not go overboard. I'm talking about top eight here. Like, there's a different level. Watching the Panthers play, it's like, it's like watching different Let's not go overboard. I don't think the Dragons mate. are going to make the top eight. I'm still... I think they still might. But no, a good win, will. and you've got to beat these... If you want to make the semis, you've got to win these games. You do have to win these games. All right. Last game on Super Saturday was surprisingly a great game. Oh, I can't believe... I thought this would be like a 70 nil. So did I, and it was just a good game. Certainly the first 60 minutes, there was a, was a really good game. Bank West is in terrible condition. Between the A-League, the rugby, and the league, it's getting a lot of traffic through it. Sydney's had a lot of rain, and the, the field is in really poor condition. Not that it contributed to Brandon Smith fracturing his hand in the first few minutes, no. um, but, but you know, the, the, the pitch wasn't great. He did fracture his hand, and then Ken Momolo scored on the right edge when the Storm... When storm Right edge were outnumbered for left edge. Yeah. No, Ken Momolo scored on the left edge when the Storm right edge were outnumbered. So yes. that made it 4 0. The Storm quickly hit back through a try to Jennings to make it 4 all. But then George Jennings did an ACL. Yeah. And he's out for the season. Sadly, he's um, gone. Without being touched, yeah. And they're the worst ones. So, and because of Brandon Smith fracturing his hand, and he looks like he's out for four weeks. Um, the Storm bench was down to two for 55 minutes. So they did they did well to actually come back, right? I thought Jackson Hastings. Um, look good, organised them. He took the pressure off Luke Brooks, but he's about 10 kilos too heavy, Jackson Yeah, Hastings. he didn't have any, um, how can I say, sort of explosion to run, but I thought his passing and the way he coordinated... Let, let me, put it, let me, let me put it to you another way. He had a low centre of gravity. <laughs> okay, yeah. Okay. Maradona Hastings. Go. Yes. Um, but Gildart looked good too. I like both of them, right? I like yeah, both Gildart of them. Gildart looked sharp athletic, on his feet. And, athletic and brave. Good yeah, on his feet. athletic and brave, yeah. So the Tigers regained the lead after 30 minutes when Norfoluma scored to make it 8 4. 
And just before halftime, um, Jerome Humes dropped a Hastings grubber and and then Paps didn't make the 10-metre line with the dropout. So so the, the Tigers kicked ahead with a penalty goal just before halftime to make it 10-4 at the break. Um, the Tigers had a perfect start to the second half when they rolled through the middle and then Ken Momolo scored off a bullet-like crossfield bomb from Luke Brooks, whose goal-kicking on the night was actually very average. Uh, to make it 14-4. Um, and with better goal kicking, you know, they... They, they, they would have made the Storm panic a little bit better. Close, more, right? yeah, they yeah. would have gone close, right? Tuolagi and Momolo dominated the right edge of the Storm, which had Kafusi, Remus Smith and Jerome Hughes there, um, and Gildart there as well. Um, with George Jennings' ACL injury, Kafusi moved to right centre, Smith to right wing, and Loiero to the right edge second rower. And because they were out of shape, they kind of got dominated. People didn't know what they were. So so that's why the Tigers were getting so much purchase down that that side rather than you can blame it on anyone. They were reshuffled. The back line did get reshuffled. But the momentum in the game, I thought, shifted to the storm with the reintroduction for his second stint of Nelson Asofa Solomona. They scored off the back of one of his barnstorming runs, um, but a Luke Brooks penalty restored the six-point lead to 16-10. And then another Nelson Asofa Solomona charge and Jerome Hughes danced through the middle to make a 16 all with 20 minutes to play and then I thought there was only going to be one winner once it was 16 all there was only going to be one winner for me with 20 minutes to go with 15 minutes to go Jerome Hughes beat Luke Brooks one-on-one and then the next tackle Xavier Coates scored a spectacular try to make it 20 to 16 to the Storm commentators were saying it was his 21st birthday so so that's a hell of a signing for the Storm Um, and they were up 20 to 16 with 12 minutes to go Remus Smith got a try with five minutes to go to make it 26 16 interestingly for me the Tigers led 16 10 with 23 minutes to go and conceded three tries in the last 23 minutes. So they, they really did run the Storm close. There's a bit of lack of fitness there, I think, though. To concede three tries like that at the end when the Storm bench is down to two, you know, again, it was still five tries, G, so so defensively there is still some work to do for the Tigers. Jerome Hughes's running game was outstanding and big Nelson and Sofa Solomon shifted the momentum. One last thing, Christian Welsh is also out for the season. Yeah, I know. He ruptured his Achilles in the last five minutes, so that's terrible. That's another good run with injury, has he? Well, between Christian Welsh, Brandon Smith, all the people with charges and all sorts of other things not playing at the moment, the off-season they've had, Craig Bellamy with that announcement in March... I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is this. This feels to me like if the storm Mate, it's almost might a step be too to an far, end. Yeah. Right? There's no one left. Yeah. Look, one of the things that I took away was thank God, you know, Felice Cafusi realised what everyone else realised that he was going bald and shaved his head. So that was fantastic. <laughs> he looked good for it. It did look good. I thought the Tigers really sort of gave them a bit of a run. I know, I, th- I do think that the injuries kind of threw the storm out a little bit, and everyone had to readjust, and they kind of didn't really know what they were doing. And Cafusi was adjusting to the centre role. I mean. I know he plays on that fringe, but, you know, when you're playing one wider, you're also then dealing with a little bit more pace and footwork in a little bit more space. Well, it's not that. It's not that. It's the calling. That's the big difference. Yeah, so I, I thought the the Tigers, the Muamalo try and the Norfoluma try was a result of Because really... you, you get a combination in defence, right? When to slide, when to come in, when to, when to come up and in and then slide. Or who comes in and the other person slides over the back. They know you change it all up. Yeah, you change it all up. Still, the Tigers hung in there. They you know, had solid outings by Alex Tawall. I thought Stefano played fairly solidly up the front. Tuolangi really troubled them on the fringes, I thought. I thought he, he had a really good he game, did. yeah. And Jake Simpkin was fairly sharp out of hooker. And I like Luke Brooks in a way because I thought Luke Brooks was a what little about bit more aggressive. Though? Yeah, a little bit more aggressive um, in the first half. And the, the two tries, the more Marlow try and Norfolk Luma try, was a result of really quick, expansive football, like you say. 
they went to one side and then bang really quickly and caught the Storm defense out twice on the on, on the wing. Um, but once I think the Storm settled and probably got their composure and Jerome Hughes's running game started to do you really think make so? I never. I just think the Storm were never thinking they were going to lose the game. I don't think they ever think they're going to lose the game. Yeah. Right. I mean, watching it, I thought, are they going to come back? They were sort of... Tr- you could see them slowly coming into the game. It wasn't quite coming together. Once it was 16 all for me, the last 20 minutes, I just yeah. thought, oh, the Storm's going to... And once this. they started the momentum shift, then it, they just sort of steamrolled them. They kind of got comfortable, and then all of a sudden, Hughes is stepping everyone. So for Salomon is holding up people, quick play the balls. Wishart was coming out of dummy half, like a poor man's Harry Grant in a way. And um, I thought Meany then got a little bit more comfortable running and passing from 5'8". And then they started to create space. I thought, I thought, I thought Nick Meany had a, I mean, and you don't need him to have a barnstorming game, but I thought it was a pretty quiet game. Mixed game for me. I thought he struggled at the beginning, and towards the end, as they got the momentum, he started to get a bit more space, and I thought he got a bit more comfortable. But it wasn't anything. But he just played a link role. Um, I think Jerome Hughes basically took over the game for me, and then all of a sudden they started coming at them, and the Tigers, like you say, couldn't keep up with them. It, it was kind of became inevitable that they were going to lose, and like you say, they still scored five tries. Having said that, though, I thought the Tigers diff- attacked a lot more aggressively, but I thought Melbourne, despite letting in some of those tries earlier, defensively generally were really hung in there. And once that momentum settled and it shifted, ball retention and ball possession, I think that's it. And at times, the Tigers' defense was quite poor in the middle because some of Jerome Hughes' tries, it was just Jerome Hughes stepping T on the inside. They were fatigued. They were fatigued, even though the storm bench was down. That's why I'm saying the fitness fitness was low. It's It's not like Jerome Hughes... Was stepping and there were fit. other players around. He just sort of stepped through them all, and they were they were just. Remember, to all close the assistant gaps. coaches got changed at the Tigers. They didn't look fit to me. I don't think so. No. So yeah, promising, promising for the Tigers fans. You know, they had a go at the Storm and could have won the game with a bit of luck. So that's a a far better outcome than what we probably thought would happen. On to the games on Sunday. First up, it was the Eels versus Titans. Needless to say, I've got seventeen pages of notes on this game. There were ten tries scored in this game. And sixty points all up. The Titans so, are back, so baby. This was this was the G oh, G style of football, right? Where no defense was played. It was basically which right edge in defense wanted to be the worst. So okay, Para right, opened. Okay. Para opened the scoring with a fifth tackle play down the short side, um, and Gutho put Sean Russell over to make it four nil. Just just FYI, before I go on from there, Para actually fielded the second youngest team in round one after the Panthers. Not bad. I thought Sean Russell that, yeah, was that's, really that, good. That's good for the future. By the so way. so not just not just him, but yeah, it was it was a second. You know, Penasini. We've got a few Dylan Brown. We've got we've got a few youngsters in the back line there. Five minutes later, after Sean Russell's try Mitch Moses kicked from inside his own half and hit the post on the full it came back to Dylan Brown who kicked again uh, on the rebound and Sean Russell picked it up to get a double inside 10 minutes to make it 10 nil the Titans hit straight back though um, after Junior Paulo made a mistake um, at the play of the ball not attempting to use his feet and they, they clamp really clamped down on that this weekend Toby Sexton then saw that Bailey Simonson was tucked in too close to Penasini and threw a beautiful cutout pass to Sammy to make it 10 yeah great great try um, Para only completed three out of its first six sets and I'm going to come back to this um, and and then Wonga Blake and I mentioned this because Wonga Blake then made an error and the Titans nearly scored again but when we do hold on to the ball, we dominated the Gold Coast right edge of Fafita, Sexton, Herbert and Marshu. Uh, and Sean Lane got another down that side to make it 14-6 after 20 minutes. And it was more than a run a, min- run a point a minute at that point. Again, a few minutes later, Gold Coast going down our right edge after Papa Lee made a poor read to make it 14-12. 
A few minutes later, Wonga Blake scores again down the Titans' right edge after a penalty given away by Patrick Herbert to make it 20-12. to And at this point, I'm watching this game where less than half an hour in, there's been more than 32 po- the 30 points scored, and I'm thinking both teams are really poor in defence. It's whose right edge is going to be the worst. Um, thankfully, it was the Titans. A few minutes later, Mitch Moses put Sean Russell over for his hat-trick down the Titans' right edge, and Jaden Campbell... Try, uh, and, and the commentator said it's accidental, nothing should come from this. Led with his knees in trying to make the tackle and in the process wiped Sean Russell out, who looks like he's done serious rib damage and may be out for a very long time. So it's and actually ref, come back the, quite The bunker bad. and the refs looked at it, over, yes, he didn't come back into the game. They looked at it over and over again. Uh. And then the commentators... Because Preston Campbell's the dad, didn't want to say anything. You know, Jaden Campbell, he's, does, he's not malicious. That was an accident, etc., etc. Guys, that doesn't matter. If you do a head-high tackle and it's accidental, it doesn't matter. You made contact with the head. This is the same. He should have gone to the bin. I'm not saying he should have been sent off. And it should have been an eight-point try. But uh, he got away with one there. Now, the problem with Sean Russell going out is um, we, we then had to reshuffle the back line, right? And, and I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, from the kickoff, Gutho then dropped it, and it was the fourth time we made an error in the first set after scoring. So a little bit, little bit like um, a few of the other games, there, our own mistakes were really, really costing us dearly. Um, the Russell injury forced Wonga to the wing, Dylan Brown to the centre, uh, and Jake Arthur came in as the other halfback, which which we were criticising why he played his son, but it ended up it being the master stroke, yeah. master stroke in the end. Uh, and the Titans straight, scored straight away down that side to make it 26-18. The reshuffled. Brian Kelly then scored straight from the kickoff when Dylan Brown missed Dave Fafita. And Dylan Brown wouldn't have been defending in the centres there. Would have been Wonga Blake, a bigger body on Dave Fafita. That try doesn't get scored if, if, we, if we kept our original back line. It's 26-22, um, all because of the refs in the bunker. Missed some knees in the back. Um, and, and we had to completely change our, our, our that side's defence, that edge's defence. We had 48 points scored in a half, nine tries. Para had five errors and 15 missed tackles. It really was rocks and diamonds. And both sides' right edge defense was atrocious. Two minutes into the second half, Sammy outlept 100-year-old Bailey Simonson, who again didn't leave his feet. He reminded me of you goalkeeping when you said, "Did I, I jumped as high as I could and your feet didn't leave the ground. And that's what Bailey Simonson did there to give the Titans the lead. I'm glad I've got the same athleticism as Bailey Simonson. It's awesome. That doesn't bode well for our season. <laughs> and then Titans, then and, and, and then Sammy proceeded to stand over Gutho and do the Gutherino on him. Um, it was 28-26 to the Titans. Wonga Blake then butchered a try. I don't know if you saw this by being a complete lair. He jumped 600 metres I saw into that. The air. Yes, he did. For no reason. Less just, high. For no reason. He I was would like, have why scored didn't he that just try. go straight and dive? Yeah, correct, correct. I mean, yeah, correct. Anyway, um, he <laughs> scores if he tries to be less spectacular. The Eels simply could not break the Titans down. It was all the worst of the Eels' attack from last year in the last 20 minutes, just going side to side with no, nothing without straightening the attack. Um, and despite all that field position, thankfully Mitch Moses kicked three penalty goals in the last 15 minutes to, to, to take the win to 32-28. Justin Holbrook blamed the refs after the game. I think he's way out of line. I think the refs were poor. The refs were poor in this game and in the Bulldogs game. And But I think they were poor to both sides in this game. Titans lost this game because they, they let they can't in defend. 32 points and they can't, they can't defend. defend. They can't defend. We spoke about this in the season preview. If the Titans want to be successful, they need to shore up the defence. There is no doubt the Titans can put points on. I, this game to me was exciting to watch because there's a lot of open field play and stuff like that. 
I do think the Titans significantly... God, I was cranky with the ref missing the... The Eels looked a lot better at the beginning of the game. I liked the addition of Sean Russell. I thought it gave them a speedy, quick finisher on the wing, and it allowed them to then be able to direct their attack to both sides. And I thought Gutherson did what Gutho does and pop up everywhere and sort of create that extra man and create numbers. He reads the game so well and just involves himself at the right time. A good time for Parra was his combo with Reed Marnie. Reed Marnie was great. How much difference does it make when Reed Marnie A lot different because Reed Marnie at times would pop out of dummy half and then add almost another ball player out in the back line to get the ball moving quite quickly. Gutherson and him are kind of on the same wavelength in that they see the numbers and maybe they call to each other and Gutherson comes in and they play off each other really well. And I think that adds a little bit of different... It gives Parra a little bit of a differentiation. I thought Will Penicini did all right. I thought Sean Russell, again, was a great great finisher until he got injured. The try that he scored was quite brave. I know what you're saying in that it was knees in the back. He probably needed to go in the bin. It was totally unintentional because Sean Russell I, got I get that, so but low. It's, it's like that's why the laws got manslaughter too. And that's fair enough, right? I understand what, what I'm you I'm not mean. saying he should have been sent off. He should have yeah, had yeah. 10 minutes. Should you're have not been saying it's a malicious. You're just saying, hey... It was the rules a, are the rules. I mean, it, mate, it doesn't matter. It's not whether Correct. it's accidental or do, it's like a head high tackle. If you accidentally collect someone in the head, sure, it's accidental, but but that's like still, last you, year. Last year, yeah. if you did that, you probably would have given up an eight point try or gone to the bin for foul play, even though it wasn't deliberate, right? And Sean Russell got down so low, so it was quite a brave try. You could see that he was going to take a hit. He knew it. Um, put his body on the line, and hopefully, it's not as bad T as you say, and he's back. Um, I think he gives Parra a different look, which I think is great. At times, Parra's attack looked quite sharp, and at other times, it looked very poor. You know, first week, I think there were good signs in that they that they they were expansive. Six weeks on the sideline for Sean Russell. Okay, hopefully um, he comes back and, and gets back into first grade. It's a bit of a shame. I thought he played really well in that first 40 minutes. Uh, I thought Parra, you know, a little bit more expansive, and it looked good. But at times in the second half, they, they just started throwing the ball around like crazy. Maybe because the, the Titans left so many gaps, it becomes almost too easy to make ground. Not easy enough to score tries, if you know what I mean, because then you have to be more direct. So I think they struggled finding that balance. Regan Campbell-Gillard was really, really good. He ran really hard, was really athletic. I thought Papa Lee he was pretty good for Para as well. Did you know? I thought Papa Lee was not, not Poor good. defensively, you reckon? Very poor defensively. Okay. I thought in attack he was quite quite effective. No, I I I I would I would have dropped him. But like, I would drop him from this performance. I thought I don't think he played well at all. Papa but Lee. but I think they s- snuck a a win. I thought they got so far ahead in the Titans, mate. If they sort out their fitness and defensive issues, God, they'd be hard to beat. They make it hard for themselves. I like Justin Holbrook and Super Jimmy Dimmick, but mate, when you've got players like Aaron Clark and Fatawaka and Lasoni who are got guts and they get hit and their guts wobble in first grade and you're playing a tempo now which ha- the game's really fast and you've got Maju who looks like um, a combination of Brian Toto and Utah put together in one person but without the explosiveness or the agility they struggle they leave holes in defense they leave holes where Fafita is where Herbert is and Sexton and they can't close those gaps and they can attack and score these points but I think defensively well Sexton was down that right edge right he was a problem like like it's, it was like watching Jamal a younger version of Jamal Fogarty I don't think they're f- as fit as they should be. Two halfbacks are doing that, then it suggests to me that they it's actually Justin Holbrook's structure. There's some of that, and I, th- I don't think they're fit enough. I, I, I think they're too big. I think their team, 
And I think they really miss Corey Thompson. I think without Corey Thompson there, they're but with Corey Thompson there, defensively they're better because Corey Thompson almost never makes any mistakes. He just makes the right reads and the right decisions, right? And I think for the Titans, it looks exactly the same as last year. Gaps, holes, but enough talent and brilliant football, and they can attack and score points. But the Eels well, scored they've, 32. They've only got nine more games against top eight opposition Yeah, well, for the, the, the Eels season. scored 32, and you said to me, hey, I thought we played pretty crap. So the Titans, if they can keep up their intensity, they will beat a lot of the teams. They'll be too good offensively for some of the worst teams, and they've got to win those games to make the semis because they're defensively not good enough to beat the good teams, unfortunately. Yep. That's the takeaway. Nothing's really changed with the Titans, but God, they can be fun to watch. All right, let's move on to the last game of the round, which was a good round. Um, this was a very close game between the Cowboys and the Bulldogs in North Queensland. It was the Bulldogs getting up 6-4. Can I just say up front, I thought this was a really poor game of football, even though the scoreline was close. It was engaging. It was it was good enough to watch, but it wasn't a high-quality game of football. It, certainly in patches, it was very poor. Um, it was really tough conditions, though. It was hot and the torrential rain, both before and during the game, made it really humid out there. So there was a lot of drop ball and those types of things. It was a bright opening. Um, the Cowboys opened the scoring after Hetherington got caught in the right centre position and the Bulldogs dogs defense on the right outnumbered the Cowboys uh, and, and the Cowboys went 80 meters to score through Gilbert to make it 4-0 his debut try in first grade Tom Dearden also continued his trial form into the game I thought he was quite good on, on the left side for for the Cowboys he was um, yes yeah with 15 minutes to go in the first half Jack Hetherington was binned for repeated ruck infringements but the Bulldogs defense held on um, and when when they were back at 13 a Matt Dufty 70 meter kick return gave them great field position and Jake Averillo had a try denied by the by the bunker and the, the hammer first half penalties killed the Bulldogs with an 8-2 penalty count and that yes. switched around in the second half to, to miraculously have a very even penalty count at the end of the game yep just coincidence um, it's just a coincidence just coincidence right it was just it's poor refereeing in, in the second half I didn't think you were an 8-2 worse penalty team in the first half and I didn't think they were that bad in the second no. half right it was just evening it up so in the second half the dogs dominated field position the Cowboys made too many mistakes with Jaden Ockenbohr eventually going over to make it 6-4 North Queensland really made some boneheaded plays they nearly considered a, conceded a try after Jake Glanville dived at Burton's feet yeah now, he dived at his feet when the kick was going out on the full he was never going to get to the ball I think there were a couple of stupid plays. I thought that was one by Jake Granville. It was desperation, but not necessary at all. Not because he kicked oh, it out and the he ball. was lucky. There was a he forward was pass right there. as well off the next yeah. set. So, so the the Cowboys really didn't look fit to me. They 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 looked no, like no. they just played so stupid. I mean, they just kept kicking to Josh Adokar too. The whole game they kicked to Josh Adokar. Guys, Jaden Ockenbaugh is on the field. Yeah, I mean, look, I... It was just dumb, dumb. It was just dumb. And at one point, right at the end of the game, I thought, geez, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Todd Payton will be the first one sacked. And, and, and then it looked like the Hammers scored after a Hess knock back from a Townsend bomb to make... And I thought he made a 10-6 with two minutes to go. And I thought, oh, gee, they're going to hold on here. Trent Barrett's under a bit of pressure. But then it was a no try because the Hammer was offside. So I, I tell you how bad the Cowboys were. Last play of the game. Go back and have a look. Jake Granville, dummy half. He gives the ball to Cohen Hess, who takes a hit up. And then he yeah, goes to dummy half to, to, for the next play of the ball, except the previous play was the end of the set. Yeah, I know. They lost, they lost the tackle count at the end of the game. I mean, that's, it's, you don't deserve to win. Like, you just, it's, it's not, you're not, congratulations to the Bulldogs, though. You toughed it out. Your defense was good. Attack was poor. But um, you got the win, and that's all you can do. The, the, Trent Barrett will take it. 
Look, I'll take it as a fan. You got to win. You know, you take a win. It's a good two points. I think they gutsed it out. They had a couple of um, HIAs and people going off from head knocks, so they were a bit short. I thought we were very lucky because I thought the Cowboys looked unfit. I, I don't think Tom Malolo looked any good. I, th- I no no, but he didn't look good last year either. Like Tom Malolo's a, a noose hanging around this team's neck. The way he's playing, I thought Jeremiah Nanai easily made inroads and busted the line a lot, but he didn't well, and, have. And, and, and Tom Malolo, they love him because of the meters he gains, but he's it's yeah, not but an ex- mate, it's someone's got to gain the meters. They're, right? they're dead meters, exactly. They're dead meters. Whereas two years ago, he was getting the hard hard meters like Payne Haas gets. It was all post-contact. Jeremiah, Jeremiah Nanai busted the line so many times, but not many people were there following him up and playing off him. They do that. The Cowboys score three, four tries pretty easily. It isn't me slagging off the Bulldogs. I There were worrying signs for me. I think they gutsed out a win, but there were worrying signs. They got tired very quickly as a team, and their fitness levels, it might have been the heat. I think that is a, somewhat of a mitigating factor. It was 33 degrees and very humid. Mate, they were out on their feet a lot of the game, and Corey Waddell was tired. Josh Jackson, I think, struggled at times, but they, they, they gutsed it out and gave that extra effort defensively. Last year, I don't think they would have done that, so that's a real positive. I thought the Cowboys, with a little bit more involvement of the Hammer and Val Holmes, and Dearden, they just seemed to... How can I say, T, they attacked in spurts. I thought Dearden looked quite good. And I thought Chad Townsend, even though he was a captain, I don't think he kept them just trying to grind out a win. And I, I think against the Bulldogs, if they had a put really went at them, I think they would have racked up a few tries. Having said that, I think... I, you know, I've got, I've got a bit of sympathy for Chad Townsend. And I hammer him more than anyone yeah. else. But the conditions were poor with the humidity and the yes, rain. Yes, that's right. The trend. And I think he was just trying to get them into good field, field position. He right? was. He I was playing he, a field he, position yeah, game, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah, he I did think, that. I think that's... And, and I thought he did that okay. He did that well. I just think they could have gone for the throat a little bit more. I think they were making... Especially in the first half, they had the Bulldogs and the Rocks. And I don't think they they went at them to put them away in the I think when Jake half, Granville came on, I think they lost a lot of momentum. I don't think he's great in dummy half anymore. I mean, the Dogs, decent defensive. Mate, their attack is an abomination. They are absolutely... Watching that, I don't know how they score against a team that's got a decent defence. Dude, uh, you've gone back to being Dean Pay style. The the big play was the inside ball to one runner and everyone else standing around. Well, and, and you've got to get them. bodies in motion around. There's Jack no Hedden, bodies in right? motion. As much as, much as, as much as he's a pain in the ass with the ill-discipline and the time off. I thought Jack Hetherington was our best forward. Well, he does get his hands free. So if you've just got some a body in motion, someone supporting, then, then you will get a few line breaks just through the offload. Too much one out for the Bulldogs in attack. Avarillo did the ball shuffle like he's been doing for two years. Matt Avarillo's Burton, not your half. I know you love him, but he's not. No, I, I thought Matt, per- Matt Burton not did not have a great game. Matt, Matt Burton, Burton did not have a great played game. a very structured game, and you could see when there was a set play. He's got a big boot on him, and that's about oh, it. Mate, when he plays his boot is absolutely unbelievable, I have yeah. to say. I don't think I've ever seen anything like it, where he's booting the ball 60, 70 metres. and like with Matt height, Burton we know. Yeah, and with height. It's a struggle for some of the players to catch it, but when you got an attack, what I saw in attack, honestly, T, they're not going to score any points this year. They're, they're, it's beyond pedestrian. It's easily read. It's slow. Players get the ball flat-footed, and they're lucky they played the Cowboys, who I think will run close to last. I think it's a win. It's great. But the way they played was a, a real concern. No one in motion, one out running. Even when they had the ball, they dominated possession in the twenty. 
against the Cowboys, and I don't think they really look like scoring a try. No. That's a concern, right? So relying on that inside-outside play with Dufty and someone else and inside balls to one runner. Easy, a good defense picks that off every single time. All right, let's move on to round two um, and, and do our quick preview because this has been a marathon pod and, and I've We're just excited. got back in the States and I need to get some sleep. You do, so, uh, so do yeah, I. Round, round two. Yep. Uh, first up on Thursday night is the Storm versus the Rabbitohs. The Storm are $1.45 favorites. The Rabbitohs are $2.75 outsiders actually. Um, and the Rabbitohs have six and a half points start. I am tipping the Storm, but if I was betting on this, I would have 10 bucks on the Rabbitohs because those odds are really good. And the Storm have a lot of injuries. That's the one thing that worries me about this game. The Storm have a lot of injuries. I think what I saw out of the Rabbitohs, they're going to take a few weeks to sort of feel where they're at. I think Latrell's back this week. So he, that'll make a bit of a difference. It'll shift. Yeah, that's 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 why that's why I would put 10 bucks on the Rabbitohs winning. It'll shift the Rabbitohs um, shift AJ back to the wing, and I think that will help them quite a lot with Latrell Walker and AJ. But they really struggle to score against Brisbane, and I wonder if they're going to score enough points against the Storm. I'm tipping the Storm in a close game. I think the Rabbitohs will be better, but I think the Storm are going to be hampered, like you say, with too many injuries. So I'm tipping the Storm, but if I was betting, two dollars seventy-five and six and a half points start I when would. that when that I would. when that Storm team is that injury ravaged. Yeah, I would. I would. If I was putting money on it, I'd put money on the Rabbitohs. I'm going to tip the Storm for my tipping comp, though. All right. If we if we move along to yep. the Friday games, the first up, it's the Dragons versus the Panthers. The Dragons are $3.75 outsiders. The Panthers are $1.28 favourites. The Dragons have 10.5 points start. I think the Panthers will win this one. They impressed the hell out of me against Manly. I, like we discussed, I thought Penrith were, again, week one, but the speed at which they played with, the intensity, the athleticism, just... How fast they were in attack and defense. I can't see the Dragons beating them. I think this is a really good game to come early for the Dragons. They've won a game. They've got a very good squad. Um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how far away they are from contention. Now, I don't think they're going to get flogged. But this is kind of where you want to measure yourself a little bit. And go, okay. Because the Panthers are going to come out on fire. And it'll be, it'll be good to see how the Dragons play against them. And they're going to get challenged by the Panthers. I'm hoping... It's a closer game than I, I think it will be. I think it's yeah, going to be 20. Be a close game. Yeah, I think it'll be a close game too. All right. The Channel 9 game on Friday night's a barnstormer, actually. It's the Titans versus... Uh, it's Titans. It's the Roosters versus Manly. Roosters are $1.80 favourites. Manly are $2 outsiders, but the line's very close, and they Manly have a point, one and a half point start. If you're picking this just on form... I'm tipping you'd Manly. go for Manly. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to tip the Roosters. I'm going to tip the Roosters, but it is a pick'em game. I think so. I think I'm expecting more from the Roosters next week. I, I'm, I'm I'm tipping the Roosters because they're playing at home. You know the Sam Walker Kiri Kiri's been out for a year, so I think that they're, they're going to take a bit of time to get that combo going in the new center and embedding the new center. Um, but mate, they did struggle to score points and. I go back to my view of the Seagulls and Panthers. I don't think Mandy were as bad as the Panthers made them look, tipping the Seagulls. I think they're going to beat the Roosters. Yeah, okay. I've got the Roosters in that one because they're at home. All right, let's move on to Super Saturday. Titans versus the Warriors. It's Titans are $1.50 favourites. Warriors are $2.60 outsiders. The Warriors have five and a half points start. It won't be enough, in my opinion. I think the Warrior Titans will put a lot of points on, and I think the Warriors will score 16 to 20 points, but but a 36 to 20 scoreline wouldn't surprise me. I'm looking at a 30 to 20 scoreline. I think what's going to happen is I think the Titans are going to attack them. 
They'll, they'll make inroads, they'll bust the line, they'll score a few tries, and the Warriors will do what they have done for the last two years. They'll throw the ball around, score a couple of tries themselves, and then let in a couple of more. And they're constantly playing this catch-up game, right, that they never quite get ahead of. Um, I'm tipping the Titans because I don't think the Warriors' defense is good enough to stop the Titans from scoring 30 points. I agree and I can't that. see the Warriors scoring the same amount because they don't play the type of football that's going to score them that amount of points. That's right. All right, let's move on to the second game in Super Saturday, and this is going to be a great game. The Sharks versus the Eels. This is always yes. a good game. Sharks yes. are $2.25 outsiders. Eels are $1.65 favourites. Um, Sharks have two and a half points start. I think Brad Arthur will be very disappointed. And two things that happen. One, the errors, particularly after we score tries. Yep, and Wagon Blake Superman antics. And uh, Well, there is all that sort of stuff. And some of the decision-making, both in defence and in attack, wasn't great, right? So I think he'll flog them during the week, which is Brad Arthur's style, and I think they're going to come out with something to prove against the Sharks. I'm going to tip the Eels because I think it's going to be a really good game, but I'm expecting the Sharks to play a bit better this week and get that combo, like I said, that sort of triumvirate combo of Hines, Moylan and Kennedy working a little bit better this week, so I think they'll be better. I just think the Eels, like you say, they had a few flaws, but I think some of it is just, hey, sort your shit out. Yeah, it's rust. Uh, Brad Arthur, it's a bit of rust. And as a team, I think the Eels are too strong for the Sharks, and I think they'll beat them this weekend. All right. The last game on Super Saturday is the Cowboys again in Townsville against the Raiders. The Raiders are $1.60 favourites. Cowboys are $2.35 outsiders. Cowboys have three and a half points start. I don't think three and a half is going to be enough. I think the Raiders will get up. I think the Raiders will beat them. I I just, I, I, I really worry about Todd Payton and the Cowboys. They've got a lot of problems up there. See, watching the Cowboys play the Bulldogs, they were any good. And with the balls and the gaps and the fatigue that the Bulldogs were showing early, they would have run up 20 points against them. And they struggled to score a try for the first half with all the possessions. So, and the Raiders, I think, are on a different level to the Bulldogs and the Cowboys couldn't quite go I agree. with them. I think the Raiders will win this and win it quite easily, actually. All right. So we're agreed yeah. there. So now let's move on to the Sunday games. The four, four o'clock kickoff is the, and Channel 9 games, the Knights versus the Tigers. Yeah. Tigers are $3 the outsiders. Knights are $1.39 favourites at McDonald Jones Stadium. Tigers have seven and a half points start. I was really impressed by the, by the Knights. I was impressed by the Tigers too, but the Knights are a classier team, right? I think this will be a good game. I don't think the Tigers' defence is going to be as good as the Knights' defence, and I think that's going to lose them the game. I think the Tigers will score a couple of tries because I think they played a little bit differently, which was great, but I just don't think they can stop the Knights from scoring. I, I just think the Knights will beat, beat them like 20, 24 to 16 or something like that. I think it'll be a good game. I think the Knights were really good against the Roosters. And I thought the Tigers showed some spirit against Melbourne, unlike last year. They did. They did. Absolutely, they yeah. did. All right, last game of the round is the Bulldogs versus the Broncos. And I, I, I think, where are they playing it? I think it's today in uh, really Acor Stadium. Yeah. Uh, Bulldogs are $2.10 outsiders. Broncos are $1.74 favourites. Presumably Adam Reynolds come back, comes back into the side. Mate, I could play half one and a half the Broncos. Start. Yeah. I, from what I saw, the Broncos were the more impressive. And I think, I think the Broncos will get up. I think the Broncos will get up. If Adam Reynolds is back, I hope Albert Kelly moves to 5'8", because I think Albert Kelly and Adam Reynolds is a very good combination. I thought I think Albert Kelly, after going to England and coming back the last season or so, he's played really good football. He showed up at pre-season last year at 109 kilos as a halfback. He's dropped yeah. over 20 kilos now. He has. I think he looks sharp. He's, he's, he's composed. He's, he's a veteran now. 
he, he's got good instinct and he's playing good footy. And you know what? Defensively, he's actually really solid, Albert Kelly. Um, so there's, I a, think there's a sentence you don't hear often about you never, You never thought you would have heard that when he was younger, right? But I think he's been fairly solid in defence. And to be honest, they were fast. They were athletic. And I, can't, I don't think the Bulldogs can match them. I really don't. I think you might be right. I think you might be right. Um, that's the worry. And I think the Broncos will beat them pretty easily. All right. All right. Well, it took us a couple of goes to get there, but we finally got to the end of this podcast. A mar- another marathon podcast. It's a marathon podcast. yes. Yeah, we're recording it on Sunday the 13th of March. So um, we will see you again next week when we cover the wild and woolly world of the NRL. Thanks, G. Thanks a lot. Unless Peter Volandis decides to cut us off air. That's In right. God, All right. See you, you God later. Man. See ya. Bye. Bye.